0: What happens with support functions when you move to self-management, right? Um, unless you're a tiny organization, so you most likely have people uh, working in some sort of support role, right? And as organizations get bigger, um, these support functions you know, gets, you know, tend to get structured into their own teams, right? Often sitting in headquarters, right? You have the HR team and the finance team and the uh, audit team and the risk and the compliance and the purchasing and you know the list goes on and on. Um, And when you move towards self-management, there's a really pretty drastic change in the power relationship. So in in most traditional organizations um, these support functions today aren't actually support functions. They're really powerful functions. They don't only support, they actually have a lot of power over the teams, right? They decide um, on all sorts of rules and what can be done and can't be done, and um, they tell teams, you know, what is possible and what isn't possible. Um, And when you move towards self-management, they actually become true support functions again, right? They're actually just there to support the teams. They no longer have power over the teams. Um, At FAVI, they talk about upward delegation, right? The idea is that the team can do everything by themselves, and if there's some things that they cannot do or doesn't make sense to do at the level of the team, they can then actually delegate it. They call it upward, so that still gives the idea of a pyramid, you could just simply call it outward. Um, A very beautiful way to put this um, is something that I found in this book here um, from Astrid Vermeer and Ben Winting, Um, it's called Self-Management, How It Does Work. And um, Astrid and Ben are the people who've, from the very beginning, uh, supported uh, teams at Buurtzorg with self-management. So they, you know, they have you know, a lot of expertise in this domain. And I think they brought, put it very beautifully here on page 67. Um, they say, when working in a self-managing organization, staff have to let go of the idea that they have responsibility for and can therefore be held accountable for the quality of the primary process. The line workers are responsible for this. The staff are responsible for the advice they give, right? So the key line for me here is it's the frontline teams that are responsible for the quality of their work, right? Now here they talk about the advice that um, support functions give. Now, um, I think it's really interesting to not look just at support function as one sort of box, but actually look at sort of the granular roles that support functions play. Just as you, we no longer want to talk about a manager, you know, as just one box, but we want to look at the various roles that the manager plays, right? And you can do that in more or less detail. Um, one way I find it useful to look at it is to talk of four levels, you know, four roles that um, that support functions play. Um, one indeed, as you know, Astrid and Ben talk about is is providing expertise, right, providing advice. Um, And here, when you move towards self-management, the big change is that the advice is on tap, no longer on top, right? I like this expression, right? On tap is, you know, just like a beer, you can just go and tap it, you know. Uh, If we need expertise, you know, they're there to help us. But it doesn't sit on top of us, right? Um, And that is a a subtle thing, right? And I find that, that Burtzorg, for instance, you know, does this really well. Um, uh, Bloch from the beginning was worried that you would have experts in expert functions who in the end happen to have a lot of power over teams simply by virtue of their expertise. And so, you know, they try to avoid having sort of these expert functions if they can in various ways. And I think two ways that they do is, is you know, really interesting to mention here. Um, one is that that expertise could simply come from outside the organization, right? So at Burtzorg, when they at some point needed um, expertise in terms of employment law, um, they could have hired a lawyer at Burtzorg, but they felt like it was actually better to work with an outsider, even if that outsider might be a little bit more expensive. But, you know, if the teams work with an outsider, there's less risk um, that the outsider, you know, starts, you know, deciding on all sorts of things for the teams. Another beautiful way that Burtzok deals with expertise is that a lot of the expertise is simply with ordinary nurses, right? So traditional nursing organizations have a few doctors or a few experts. Um, What they do at Burtzok instead is that um, that they just capture all of the expertise that exists, right? You know, you might be a nurse that knows everything about, you know, respiration equipment. And maybe I know everything about this one particular pathology. And so then the question simply becomes, how can we find one another? Um, and you know, how can we use our, our, you know, our intranet or our Slack channel to actually tap that kind of expertise? Um, and what you see in a lot of organizations is um, the expertise is actually in the, in the teams themselves. And then you know, these various experts that belong to teams also belong to sort of a virtual team of experts that come together every once in a while. So that's expertise, on tap, not on top. A second role that um, support functions almost always play is the role to define um, a set of standards and policies and and rules and guidelines, right? Um, This is how we do this in this organization. Um, And that should never, ever, ever um, be with an external team, with a support function, um, if you're trying to do self-management. Right, um, that should be defined by the teams themselves. And and a yes, um, you know this, you know company that had you know you know power plants all over the world. Um, they did this in a beautiful way, right? So they had no um, HR team, or they had no maintenance team, or no risk team. Um, what they would have is that they had a voluntary task force, right? So. Um, most of the of the factories most of the power plants um, would have somebody that would you know participate in a voluntary task force say about um, risk management and and that task force rather than somebody sitting in Washington would define the rules and policies that all of the power plants had to play by right Um, so then the power is really embedded in the team and then you make really clever and um, you know you make clever uh, policies that fit all of the power plants, whereas when somebody was designing it in Washington, you know if I sit in Uzbekistan, that you know policy might make no sense. A third role that support functions almost always play is once you have defined these rules and guidelines and policies is somebody needs to make sure that they're enforced, right? So that's sort of a controlling function. And, you know, that is maybe less critical um, than defining the function. So you could say, hey, as long as the teams, you know, collectively in a voluntary task force define their own policies and functions, we could ask somebody external to a team to come and, you know, check on us. Right? You could do that. But, even there, I think, a better way is to have the teams be responsible for themselves, and that's how they did it at AES. You know, teams would audit one another randomly every year, you know, around, these, around these policies, for instance. And then a fourth uh, kind of role that support functions play is, is simply doing sort of some work for the teams, on behalf of the teams. You know, often some administrative work, right? So um, there's some work that might not make sense to do within a team, right? So if we talk, for instance, about HR, every team does their own recruitment, and that's critical. But, you know, when it comes to the compensation and benefits and all of the detailed administrative work that we need to do, um, you know, for taxes and with the state and with the banks and, and all of that, well, that probably doesn't make sense to do it every single team and have people trained to do that. So we actually have a team that does that on behalf of all the other teams. Right? And so this is really sort of outward delegation, right? The teams decide, hey, that makes sense. Let's have a team of three, four people do that for, for all of us. Um, and they can be organized as a self-managing team. They're in that case. They're real support functions. They're really just supporting the teams. They're not setting any policies or guidelines So I find it useful to think in those terms and this is how typically you know support functions change Um, one more way in which they change is that often uh, People who used to be in sort of headquarters central teams often get reallocated to the frontline teams, right? Um, You might remember from previous videos what you want in self-management ideally is that a team You know has all of the resources is fully autonomous to serve a client from the beginning to the end right end to end and And that means that stuff that used to be done in support functions often get reintegrated in the team if I'm in a factory um, Maybe we need somebody you know for purchasing in our team to do purchasing for our team Maybe we need somebody for maintenance so that we can do our own maintenance Right? Um, and so, typically, people who were in these central functions you know, start getting reallocated to Teams, and it's actually fun for them to work in, you know, within Teams. Um, now, um, I, another idea that I found here that I wanted to share with you is um, the idea for very large organizations to install um, service centers, as Ben and Astrid call it. Um, The idea here is that, um, you know, if you have a a team in a a factory, in an organization of, I don't know, 100,000 people, well, there might be some people with various expertise, you know, in headquarters or just around the country, and and how do I even find these people, right? It can be daunting, and so some people don't actually ask for advice, because they don't know who to ask. And um, Hence the idea of having a service team. Service team is, you know, one or two people, who are just the person you always talk to and say, hey, I need some advice, some expertise in this, and then these people, they know exactly, oh, then you need to talk to Peter in Germany, right, or you, tell you need to talk to that person. So they're simply the conduit, sort of the first access, and they know exactly, you know, who the experts in the organization are. You know, one way to do it. I haven't actually seen it ever in practice, um, but it just sounds like a good idea for very large organizations. So this is what happens with support functions. Now, a whole other question is, you know, well, you know, from a human perspective, you know, what happens? I used to be in headquarters in one of these support functions, and now, you know, the, the power dynamic completely changes, or maybe I get reallocated to a team. And experience shows that for some people, this can be really painful. Some people love it from the start. For other people, it's a real change in identity. You know, I used to sit in headquarters and I was the VP of human resources and and that felt, you know, powerful And now well all the power is with the frontline teams and I'm just there in support, right? Um, For some people that is is a really hard transition Um, And just as with managers um, There can be sort of a mourning process But just as with managers when you come out on the other side, you know, people tell that most often, they absolutely love the new way of working. Um, Because what happens is that you're much more directly in contact with teams. You're actually much more helpful to people. There's much less of the headquarter politics, right? There's much less of the distance. There's much less of working across silos. Um, And you actually discover that there's real beauty in being of service to other people. Of being support, right? There's, there's actually not much more beautiful in life than to be in service to other people. Um, and so after some morning period people often discover the beauty of being a true support functions. Perhaps you've noticed there is no paywall, no monthly membership to access this video series. That's because the videos live in the gift economy. This is how it works. I gift everything that goes into making the videos, my time, energy, and insights, and you get to choose what feels right to give back. Please take a moment to reflect on what would feel good to give in return to help me continue doing this work. Thank you.